This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. And welcome back to the first Cool Your Jets uh, podcast episode in a while. It's been a minute. You know, Michael and I have, uh, we needed to take a break <laughs> in the middle of the uh, the putrid Jets 2019 season. Uh, you know, I made this joke, uh, I believe it on the last podcast, but we really are bandwagon podcasters um, during the regular season sometimes. I think we're going to try to be better at that. We, uh, we just... Uh, we just joined a podcasting network. We'll have more about that. I mean, we're still obviously with Turn of the Jets, but um, I, I guess I would say you can expect more consistent episodes uh, in the future. But for us, the offseason is always uh, the most fun um, time to be a Jets fan, just imagining your team being good. What a what a you know novel concept uh, that is. But without further ado, I'm Ben Blessington, your host, alongside Michael Nania. Michael, how you been? It's been a while since we've uh, been we, since we've done one of these. Yeah, it's great to be back on here. And and like you said, we are kind of putting out the image of being bandwagon podcasters. And maybe we are. It's a pretty legitimate criticism, just uh, skipping out after that awful start uh, to 2019. But like you said, we're hoping to be a lot more consistent with this going forward because it's a lot of fun to do. And uh, it's definitely something that we enjoy bringing every single week uh, when we were doing it uh, to start out uh, in the uh, at the beginning of the 2019 season. But like you said, the off season is uh, a, it's a great time for podcasting because there's just so much time to uh, really kind of just just debate a lot of different topics and really uh, and like you said, just kind of imagine the team being good and go over uh, all the possibilities. And there, there's yeah. everyone's undefeated in the off season, So it's just so much fun to kind of like you said, just really imagine the team being good. So uh, yeah, uh, hopefully we can be more consistent with this. We are going to try our best to be, but it's fun to be back, and it's uh, a crucial off season with the Jets, uh, like we say every single year. So, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, like, look. I mean, even though even though we weren't recording many, I do always enjoy you know recording these podcasts with you, Michael. It's always a fun time, um, and you know, as the off season is is the time for imagining things. Uh, we're looking forward to becoming more consistent. Um, but not just, you know, talking about what the Jets are going to do this offseason or whatever. Michael and I do have um, plans for this offseason to to make sure we have an episode each week. We have content uh, that is a bit different. Um, starting, I believe, next week, we're going to do um, three straight episodes just on Sam Darnold. Uh, the first episode we'll cover, you know, is the first four games he played in the second will be the first four the second four he played in and then finally we'll close with with the last five we're going to be doing really in-depth you know analysis on him and michael will bring obviously all the the nerd stats that he has and analytics and whatnot um really just trying to provide content that you're not going to find elsewhere um and we have a few other you know series kind of like that that are more focused more in 
um, you know, specific players, specific trends, specific games, whatever. Uh, we're also looking forward to having a few guests on this offseason, different beat writers and potentially maybe some players and whatnot. And that'll take us, you know, obviously we'll keep doing that through the summer and whatnot, but uh, we'll, we'll cover free agency, the draft. Um, just we're really excited about focusing in uh, on specific topics, really bringing the numbers and the analytics uh, and then coming forward with, with consistent content each week. We got a lot of feedback on the podcast. A lot of people liked it. A lot of people are upset that we weren't doing it as much during the season. I will say, though, I mean, I would imagine anybody who's listening to this podcast, you know, could feel the depression after losing, you know, let's say to the to the Bengals or whatever. Imagine trying to just sit down right after the game and talk about it for an hour and a half. And believe it or not, Michael and I did do that a few times. We just didn't upload it. I was like, this is not good. I mean, we are literally just basically bitching into a mic for for an hour and a half. Um, so um we're, we're looking forward to, to just more consistent content before we hop into to some stuff we have today uh we'll just give a brief overall uh season thoughts we'll do some some you know awards for the season and then we'll we'll do just a brief off season uh you know look towards the next few months and what the jets need to do kind of a priority list some of the stuff is maybe things that the jets won't address but michael and i would like to see them go after uh, and then we'll wrap it up and uh, get out of here but just starting with the season because i think the last time we recorded one was I don't even. I, we recorded one, I think, uh, after the the um, what's it, the Giants game or something like that. We did something around them, but let's just wipe the slate clean. Let's talk about the season 2019 in whole, just for a few minutes here. Michael, I'll just kick it off with you. Um, your thoughts on the 2019 season, 2019 season as a whole, because look, you can see that record of seven and nine, and and to some fans, you'd be like, you know what, it's a step in the right direction. It's our best record since 2015. You know, Darnold, if you just look at the numbers, did to you know improve in every statistical category um so you know is that deceiving though i mean they finished six and two down the stretch but how many good teams good football teams did they beat did darnold really take the leap that we wanted to see him take did gase you know prove time and time again that he's that he's an incompetent head coach and that he really got bailed out because of greg williams as a defensive coordinator there, there was a lot to take in on the season and and i believe maybe that seven nine is a bit deceiving but it's not all doom and gloom michael just your overall thoughts on on the 2019 season yeah, I think as with anything, you have to look at, you know, the positives and negatives of it. Just take a look at the whole big picture. Take everything. Uh, just account for all the context involved. Yes, 7-9 is, uh, is their best record since 2015. And going 6-2 and two in the second half, that was their best half season uh, since the first half of 2010. So uh, it's been a while since they even had a uh, half season as good as they finished in terms of the win-loss. But uh, there are a lot of things that go into that. Uh, they played a soft schedule this year. The tra- Just the travel that they got to enjoy the season, not even leaving the Eastern time zone, that's an advantage they've never had before. And next season, playing both West divisions, AFC and NFC, they have to go to L.A. twice. They have to go to Seattle. They have to go to Kansas City. The 49ers are coming to, uh, to New York to play the Jets. So the schedule is, and again, you never know uh, how hard the schedule is going to be ahead of time because so much changes year over year. But the Jets did end up getting a pretty weak strength of schedule this year, and the travel was very easy. So you know the travel is going to be tougher, and most likely the schedule is going to you know at least be average next year uh, because odds are they're not going to get the same uh, strength of schedule again. And they won a lot of close games. Uh, I believe they finished five and one in one score games this season and five and zero oh, uh, after that bills game to open the season. So they won their close games. Their point differential was not very good this season. They had an easy travel schedule, uh, easy uh, strength of schedule in terms of opponent record. So all those things are true, but 
Uh, there are a lot of positives to take away this season. I think Sam Darnold, after uh, a rough start to the season, he dealt with mono, uh, missed a few games. Offensive line is terrible start the season. The offensive line improved a little bit down the stretch of the season, and Darnold got a lot better. Uh, had a, a six-game stretch there, I think, from the Giants uh, up through that game against the Ravens on Thursday Night Football. A, a really good stretch there of games, probably the best or easily the best six-game stretch of his career. I think from the Giants to the Ravens, those six games, he was at least decent, usually great in those games. Uh, tough finish to the season those last two games, but you got progress from Darnold. There were so many positives on defense. It was a really good unit this year. Special teams was great. Again, there are a lot of really interesting young pieces on this team that they have locked up going forward. So there's a lot of positives. But at the same time, I don't think you could just look at, you know, they were seven and five with Darnold. They finished six and two. I don't think you could just take those records and, you know, extrapolate that, expect that they're going to improve on it or maintain it over 16 games next season uh, just because of all the things that happened this year to allow that uh, that allowed them to get to that record, the strength of schedule. Uh, the travel, all those things. And their point differential wasn't good. They got blown out most of their losses and most of their wins were pretty close. Uh, so it's not a gimme for that. They're just going to take Darnold's uh, the win loss with Darnold this year and match that next season. Uh, they have to improve in a lot of areas that they're going to be able to put up a seven and five caliber record over 16 games next season, you know, win nine, 10 games. Uh, so there are a lot of areas they need to improve their the going six and two in the second half, seven and five with the healthy Darnold is nice, but it's not as quite as good as it seems just because of all the factors involved and the fact that the offense still really struggled. Uh, they were last in DVOA this season, so that has to get a lot better. But there are still so many positives you can take out with the way they finished this season. This was on track to be a completely lost year uh, with what they did in the second half, especially on defense, but also most importantly with Darnold's development. There were a lot of positive developments in that second right. half. Yeah, and I think a lot of people, you know, especially after they were 1-7, and seven, were fully on the tank mode, you know, ch tank for Chase Young or Jerry Judy or whatever. And first of all, I mean, the draft is a crapshoot. You never know what's going to happen. Guys could fall. Um, you know, you know, I know Andrew Thomas right now is a projected top five pick and he'll probably end up going to the top five, but we've seen crazy things happen draft night. You know, there are plenty of good guys that are there at, at pick 11, you know, Tristan Wirfs, Jerry Judy, CD Lamb. If any of those guys are available, um, Willis, the, the tackle from Alabama. Um, so I think the winning, uh, you know, down the stretch, I know people want to discount it. And I agree with you, Michael, that there are a lot of bad trends there when you see about how little they had to travel and how weak the, their, their, you know, strength of schedule was. And, you know, particularly those last two games, it wasn't like Sam Darnold was, was amazing against the Steelers or the Bills. Um, but Getting those wins under the belt, I think, meant a lot for the team um, and for the organization. I know fans will roll their eyes at that, but I, I really do. I think it was important for for players like Sam Darnold to get, you know, a few game-winning drives like he had against Miami, get wins against, you know, tough wins in the cold weather, tough wins at home, tough wins on the road. You know, even though they, they didn't, you know, play their best football against the Ravens and they obviously didn't win that game, I—, I thought that was a big game for Sam Darnold to see that he can yeah, play Sam well. Sam Darnold was really good in that game. Yeah, and, and the numbers might not show that, but, I mean, if that team, a few plays go differently, that game is a lot closer than it is. And Sam Darnold played really well, you know, in a tough position, you know, with one of the worst team, one of the worst offensive lines going up against one of the best teams on the road, primetime, MVP, Super Bowl contender. I mean, not anymore. But, um, you know, overall, just that was an impressive game. So, there are positives to take away, and whether or not Adam Gase is the guy, we'll find out in 2020. But my confidence in Sam Darnold is there, um, and and I, you know, the wins, 
do matter. I know, I know some people just like, well, oh, we just, you know, crapped our draft stock by losing uh, or by winning, excuse me. But trust me, those wins matter for this organization, for the culture they're trying to build. And yeah, six and two is a launch pad towards next year. Winning record at home is a launch pad. Um, it just, and it showed that they could fight through adversity. You know, I, I think that that's one of those things where next season, when they do face a bit of adversity, let's say they, they lose three in a row or something, you know, Sam has that in the back of his mind is like, I mean, look, we were one and seven. Our coach was going to get fired. People didn't, you know, believe in us, whatever. And regardless of who we played, we went six and two and they did beat a few good teams in there. You know, the Steelers and the Raiders are not, you know, seller dwellers, I guess, you know what I mean? Going into Buffalo, even though it was the backups or whatever. I mean, that was not an easy place to play in that weather or whatnot. And he still got that way. I mean, there, there were positives to take away, especially that Baltimore game, even though it didn't win, uh, uh, you know, more victories aren't playoff, you know, berths, but it's a step closer, and and it was nice to see them finish six and two down the stretch. Uh, now, before we get into the awards, uh, let's just talk a little bit about Adam Gase and his coaching staff, Michael. I kind of want your thoughts because I think, look, for special teams, Brent Boyer proved once again that he's among the the, the best in the league. And if you're seeing Joe Judge get a head coaching spot um, with the New York Giants, it wouldn't surprise me if Brent Boyer could potentially become a head coach. Just you look what he's done with this unit. He's clearly a, a fire guy a leader um he's done a terrific job you know the past few years even losing jason myers and andre roberts which in hindsight proved to be potentially the right move um you know jason myers was obviously better than what the jets were were kicking with with sam ficken this year but for the money he wasn't as good as last year uh, but brant boyer's unit among the top of the league defense with greg williams no matter the injuries to cj mosley and avery williamson and a horrible secondary and no true pass rusher they played uh, terrific. They were among the best against the run, and they, they held their own uh, against the pass. But Adam Gase, that offense, I mean, on pretty much every major statistical category, and I know you're a big analytic nerd. I know you've probably seen all the charts, all the graphs, all the numbers on this. Adam Gase's offense was not where it needed to be pretty much in any you know aspect uh, whatsoever. Yeah, and, and first of all, on the other two coordinators, they were amazing. The Jets were I think 10th in defensive DVOA, fourth on special teams, Brant Boyer. And and like with the field goal kicking, that's one area where the special teams coach probably doesn't have a lot of impact. But what really matters is that the Jets are very good in all four of the other facets of special teams. If you take out field goal kicking, they have the best special teams DVOA for the second straight year. So Brant Boyer did an excellent job. The punt kickoff coverage is great. The punt return kickoff turn, both of those are very good. Uh, So he did a great job again, but Greg Williams, it goes without saying how amazing he was. But what's really most important for the future of this team uh, about what Greg Williams did this year is the development that happened uh, on defense, the young players that he was able to help improve. Nathan Shepard breaking out, uh, Foley Fadakasi. Blake Cashman was not good this year, but he also had some flashes and got valuable playing time. Blesson Austin was uh, very good in the time he played, obviously didn't finish off well, but he uh, set the tone for a very potentially good career going forward. So there was a lot of development of young players under Greg Williams and just overall dealing with all the injuries that the Jets had to deal with on defense uh, pretty much at every single position. Marcus May being the only guy who played all 16 games to deal with all that and be a top 10 defense. And also with an offense that did not give them good field position, actually the worst in the league uh, to deal. With, really, he could not have been dealt a worse hand. I have had, you know, lesser talent to deal with and still made them a top 10 defense. So Brant Boyer, Greg Williams, they were awesome. But Adam Gase, I mean, I we all know uh, pretty much how this went down. The offense finished up as the worst in the league by offensive DVOA scoring per drive, almost a- any single category you look at. And yes, they did miss Darnold for the first few games and they were terrible 
historically terrible without him, but even having him back, uh, they were one of the lesser offenses with him on the field. So, and, and me and you were talking about this before we started recording, but one of his biggest issues in Miami was that he was just uh, way too often being too stubborn, just ignoring the weaknesses of the opponent, the strengths of his team, the weaknesses of his team, and just uh, building his game plan, his approach around those things uh, and just overthinking it too much. And that was a problem again this season, the Cincinnati game, not rolling out, not running outside, even though the Bengals were terrible defending outside and they completely ignored that weakness and ran up the middle all day. Just stuff like that consistently throughout the season. So it does um, make you a little worried that he's not going to be able to fix that going forward because it already was an issue for him and he didn't fix it this season. But uh, still, Sam Darnold developed. If you want to be positive and hashtag gaze positivity was something that feels like a million years ago, but we were doing that. Uh, before you the were season doing started, that. I was doing that. I definitely was. But if you want to be positive, Sam Darnold had a very solid second half to the season, uh, and they did change change some things up in terms of the way that uh, you know he was playing, just the overall approach for that Giants game. So hopefully that is a sign, something uh, that they can build on going forward. But uh, he, Adam Gase, definitely remains the biggest question mark right. uh, on the team outside the offensive line to me. But outside of that, he it definitely is something you have to be worried about. Oh, no. I, I mean, I think Gase is the, the number one question mark. And look, I'm not trying to be too anti-Gase. I think the the jury is still out on him. I, I, I think he deserves one more year, a year with Sam, a healthy Sam Darnold, a Sam Darnold who has a whole offseason to you know already in the system, which people are rolling their eyes at. But that does mean a lot to the, to the quarterback. He doesn't have to spend his whole summer in training camp and minicamp, whatever, learning a playbook. He already knows it. So you, I guarantee you will see much improvement from Sam Darnold from that, you know, facet. But yeah, I think it, I think stubbornness would be the word that describes him the most is that he very much believes in himself and what he's doing. And I think he's a very bright guy. I mean, in in some ways when it comes to football and that he essentially overthinks everything, Uh, you know, Michael and I were talking about like, why don't they get him out of the pocket more? And I guarantee you, Gase, who has an excuse for everything, but I don't think it's because, as I said to Michael, it's because he's lazy or anything. I think it's literally because he he thinks about everything. He is almost outthinking everything. You know, why doesn't why isn't Darnold getting out of the pocket? Well, you know, our offensive line isn't too good. I don't trust our right tackle. It's like Gase. Sometimes he gets too into the, the nitty gritty that he doesn't just look at the big picture and slow down and and just diagnose, like you said, diagnose what is what is our opponent's weakness? What are some of our strengths? How can I mold what I'm doing? Um, for the better, how do how can I adjust? How can I change? He is kind of the coach where you saw it with with Peyton Manning in 2013, where everything is perfect. If you have an elite quarterback and a, a good offensive line and a solid group of weapons, uh, he's going to get you points. I mean, he's going to be a good offense. You saw it in his opening drives when he was able to script plays. He, he showed flashes there. That's the only thing that gives me hope, any hope about his offense is we saw it in those opening drives that the Jets are capable of having a a solid offense. I mean, pretty every game. Uh, after uh, starting with the Giants game, they were on their opening drives always productive, always moving the football. But then it would seem like they would just hit a wall. The defense would adjust, and Gase just couldn't adjust enough to 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 let go of some of the things. Where it's like, well, I don't trust this player to do this, and he, this is my system when I want to. Sk- it's just he he failed to adjust, mold the team more to to Sam Darnold, mold the team away from him being a pocket passer, and and you know, I don't know. I I just feel that. The jury is still out on Gase. That door is still open, but it, man, it, I mean, it's 
ajar. I mean, it, it's very, very likely that he's not the guy that's going to lead the Jets um, to a Super Bowl. But look, Joe Douglas believes in him. Chris Johnson believes in him. Sam Darnold believes in him. That's probably the most important part. So look, he deserves a 2020. I think it's a clean slate. They did finish 6-2 and two down the stretch, so we'll see. But that offense needs to take some serious leaps next year. And the hope, I guess, is that Darnold will take that big leap not from year one to year two, but from year two to year three with the whole offseason in the system. We'll talk plenty more about Adam Gase and, and the coaching staff and and all sorts of stuff throughout the offseason. But let's go ahead and, and hop into some awards for the season. Uh, of course, we'll top, we'll you know tackle some 2019 topics within this. Um, but let's just start out with the offensive MVP. And you talked about, Michael, the games where Sam Darnold uh, wasn't uh, the quarterback of the Jets. And, you know, at the time, it was frustrating, but I think looking back, it was a blessing in disguise because we at least got to see what this team looked like when it was still fairly healthy without Sam Darnold as its starting quarterback. And as you said, it was historically bad. Yeah, and, and the thing is, we got to see this last year as well. This is the second year in a row that Sam Darnold has missed a three-game stretch, and over those three games, the Jets have gone 0-3 and been absolutely terrible offensively. And then he's come back and led a pretty good stretch Afterward, obviously, there was a rough start this year, but he did start off at that Cowboys game, immediately spark a team, uh, scoring more points in that first game when he came back than the Jets scored without him in those three games. So uh, it's definitely, like you said, a blessing in disguise, kind of just from uh, a fan's perspective to get that comparison of just seeing team with Darnold, team without Darnold, just with Darnold being that one variable, uh, taking him out and putting him back in. And just seeing how much of how much of a positive impact he has and just how bad this team is without him uh, for the second year in a row now, it definitely goes to show just how positive of an impact he has. Yeah, and, and it's exciting. And, and so he would have to be the offensive MVP from that standpoint. We could give a few others that could maybe throw flow out there, but you, you just see the difference with him. And the most exciting thing is that he's only 22 and he's pretty much had, I mean, throughout, you can go through his whole career. He's not had the best coaching staff, the best supporting cast or whatever, and he's found ways to win. I'm just really excited to see it. And I know people are talking about how Gase is going to ruin him or whatever. Look, you know, I don't know how how the Jets will be in 2020 or if Gase is back in 2021, but look, he is 22. He's uber talented. Even if Gase isn't the guy, I'm very confident that Sam Darnold yeah, is. I, I if think they can Darnold, bring somebody he, in with him, he's too he's too talented to be ruined. I think like what's happened with Josh Rosen. He's only 22. Hand, he's, yeah, he's younger than the guy who's going to get picked number one in the draft this year. So I think. Like Josh Rosen, that's a guy who kind of looks like he's been ruined with what he's had to deal with. Now he's just completely floating around and is going to have to really scratch and claw to find a chance. But Darnold, even though he hasn't been good so far or uh, above average so far and might not be under Gase, he's he's not ruined. You see the talent consistently. You see how many great games he's had uh, throughout his career. It's just being able to find the right system, the right coach. Maybe it's Gase. Most likely it's not, but just being able to find like Ryan Tannehill has just being able to find that fit to where you can consistently have these great games, but the talent's clearly there. And I think, uh, at some point, hopefully it's this next season, but at some point he's really going to put that all together. This is the youngest week one starter in the history of the league. So we got to remember that and be patient with him. Yeah, and it's also a lot different than some of the other young quarterbacks the Jets have had, because as you mentioned, we he's had plenty of wow and amazing moments and throws and whatever that, that throw to Jameson Crowder in Baltimore really sticks out to me as a moment where my jaw was literally like, are you kidding me? Yeah. That he was just an made that incredible throw. play right now. I would say I agree. I think he's a good quarterback right now at the, if he doesn't improve at all, I think he's a, he's a quarterback that you can win with. He's a good solid quarterback that if you were to build up this defense into a great defense, maybe get a, you know, 
uh, if the the fix the offensive line, whatever, he's a good quarterback that you can very much win with. The question becomes, can he take that step to being a great quarterback or a you know Pro Bowl quarterback, a, you know a Super Bowl winning quarterback? Those are the leaps that he has to make. But right now, he's a good quarterback to me. He's an above average quarterback that you can win with in this league, which is something the Jets haven't had uh, really since what the first half of 2018 with Brett Favre, maybe Fitzpatrick in 2015 for a year. But this is at least a guy who's so young, so talented. And right now his floor is just, is a being a good quarterback, which is a really comforting thing uh, for me. He's got to cut down on some of those turnovers, but you know, I have, I have a lot of faith in Sam Darnold as being the guy for the New York jets for the next decade. Uh, I don't think you can go with anybody else for offensive MVP. Really? Uh, you know, Robbie was pretty good down the stretch, but Robbie wouldn't have had, uh, you know, any probably would have had no touchdowns if Luke Falk had to start the rest of the games. Uh, Ryan Griffin came in and did a good job for for Chris Herndon, at least catching the football. Um, I know that one of the things you want uh, the Jets to do this offseason, Michael, is is to get a blocking tight end. But right. we'll talk about that a little later. But I think it's very clear Darnold is the offensive MVP for yep. defense. Also very clear. How can you go with anybody else outside of Jamal Adams? Michael, I'll just turn this one to you immediately. Your thoughts on Jamal's 2019 season. Yeah, I think he's the best safety in the league, and it's not even really debatable at this point. You just see how many different things he does well. Uh, in terms of rushing the passer, he's as good as it gets, and there's no argument. He has almost twice as many pressures over the last two seasons as any other safety in the league. He almost set the sack record this season. Not that that really matters, just because there are so many other plays this season uh, where his pressure led to someone else getting a sack, uh, leading to an interception. So. Uh, as a pass rusher, he's the best there is. And even in coverage, he's become so good now. He's just so good uh, breaking underneath, making tackles in the flat. His tackling is amazing. He rarely misses a tackle. And even in coverage in the slot, he's taken on some matchups. We saw last year what he could do outside against Gronk in that amazing game against the Patriots. Uh, there's just nothing he can't do. He's so good at everything. Uh, and he brings so much to the defense. Uh, there's there's with all the places you can put him, it just makes it so easy as a coordinator to fit the rest of the defense and let you know everyone else do what they're best at, because you can put take Jamal and put him in any role and he can excel at it. And that makes it really uh, a lot easier to fit everyone else into their positions uh, and allow them to play to their strengths. And it's just such a positive impact uh, to have him out there no matter what he's doing. Yeah, I know he, he was. Uh fantastic this year and i know there's a lot of noise about whether or not the jets should trade him i'll put it this way i'm not trading jamal adams unless it's a, an absolute monster deal i mean the jets would really have to be blown off their feet for me to say you know what they should trade him i think he is just you know when joe douglas is up there talking about building a culture guys who hate to lose more than they love to to win jamal adams is that jamal adams is the ultimate culture culture builder guy in the locker room that you want leading the way, leading the way on defense, making an impact on literally, I mean, as our best edge rusher, our best corner, safety, whatever. He moves around. He's just a perfect piece uh, for Greg Williams' defense. So unless the Jets are getting an offer where they're getting multiple first-round picks, I I'm not dealing Jamal Adams. Uh, in fact, I might be signing him to an extension this year because that price tag is only going to go up. You know, maybe runners-up. Uh, I would say Brian Poole was, was pretty impressive to me. I thought that he was, um, you know, really, t you know, uh, filled in that that nickel role very nicely and a big step up from buster screen last year i thought without brian Poole, this defense would have looked looked a lot worse um because you yeah, know the I lack of lack of cornerback talent he really came in and was able to um to deliver you know a really solid presence uh at the defensive back spot michael and i also added least valuable players on offensive defense uh, I think we sh you know i think we might share the same for these but for offense it has to be ryan khalil i mean i think he was 
about as bad as you could have imagined. I, I, we figured that when the Jets signed him out of retirement, it's like, oh, okay, here we go. We're getting a guy who at the very worst is an average center. He's just stabilizing the line, a veteran, a guy who's been a pro bowler before, you know, really good signing here by Joe Douglas. But, you know, he clearly just did not have it anymore. He's too old. The rust was there. He never really gelled. I think it didn't help the fact that Jonathan Harrison had been the starting center, you know, all throughout minicamp, through the spring, through the start of the summer, and then they, through preseason, and then they slid this guy in for week one. They just had no chemistry whatsoever. It, it really ruined the communication between them. Um, and, yeah, I mean, it made Sam Darnold a lot more uncomfortable back there. So, Khalil was pretty much the worst-case scenario for, for signing a guy like that. Uh, Michael, do you agree with that? Or do you have anybody else you'd you throw in here? Yeah, I'd go with him. And it was a tough pick because the O-line was so bad, and there was so much rotation uh, along all five positions, guys rotating in and out because of injuries. But I, I definitely go with Khalil because that 0-4 start is what sunk the Jets' season, and the offensive line was the primary reason for that start. Obviously, Sam Darnold's injury hurt and all that, but with the O-line playing better, they easily could have scored enough to beat Buffalo. And who knows, maybe they even compete with the Browns a little bit. They could, could definitely could have beaten the Eagles in that third game with how well they played. Uh, but the offensive line was the number one reason, and Khalil was at the center of that. But uh, physically, he looked exactly like a 34-year-old guy who came out of retirement. So uh, in the run game, he was terrible. But really the most disappointing part about Khalil was the fact that uh, one of the big positives that we thought you were getting was just uh, having a, a guy who's been a multiple-time All-Pro, Pro Bowler, in the Super Bowl, a long-time veteran center, and what that would do for Sam Darnold. But while Khalil was in there, just the the breakdowns up front were constant, and that's something that got better once Khalil uh, came out of the lineup. Not, not that the O-line was, wasn't awful once he was out of there still, but uh, the protection breakdowns were a constant, ridiculous yeah. issue at that's the beginning a great, of the season. That's yeah, a great point. And, and that's something that we thought was uh, that he's going to neutralize. It was a big problem last year, and you thought, okay, maybe he can't run block. Maybe he doesn't have that much athletically anymore, but at least he'll do this, uh, and he could not do that at all. Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, he was the veteran guy who you thought um, those type of you know breakdowns, those how the hell did that guy just run right up the middle wouldn't happen. But you're right. It happened way more when Khalil was out there. And as soon as Jonathan Harrison was back in there, look, the offensive line, you know, maybe wasn't still was not that talented and still was getting beat for sacks or whatever in a few seconds. But there was not as many like head scratching. How the hell did they just not block that guy once Khalil was taken out uh, for defense? I think it has to be Tremaine Johnson. Um, you know, this guy, you know, uh, in some sense, it's like, congrats, man, you made a ton of money. But outside of that, this guy was an absolute waste of time for Jets fans uh, and the team. I mean, just an absolute waste of money. We'll go down as one of the worst free agent signings ever, honestly. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, I think there was some hope with him reuniting with Greg Williams that if he could turn just even into a, just a solid average corner, we'd be fine. But clearly... Um, he's just not the same player he used to be in, in, in LA. Um, just, yeah, really, really bad signing for Mike McCagden. Um, and, um, you know, it, it looks even worse when you see a, you know, a six round rookie who was started the, the year on the pup list, didn't even get to play in preseason or training camp, come in and play 10 times better than he has his whole career. You could even say Arthur Millette, even Daryl Robert, everybody who played, Maurice Kennedy, for God's sakes, was better than Tremaine Johnson. I mean, just an absolute awful, awful, awful player. But look, he made his money. Nothing else you could say about that, but he'll be gone this year. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. And, you know, he barely played because he was so bad. He was banged up and got benched early on. Uh, but he's a big part of losing that Buffalo game, which obviously uh, set the tone for the 0-4 start. But 
other than him, I mean, the defense, it's it's really so hard to complain about anything this unit this year. They were really solid just with everything they dealt with. It was such a good season for them. And Greg Williams was a huge part of that. Daryl Roberts is a candidate. He was part of the struggles early on, obviously gave up that touchdown in the Bills game that put them away and, you know, effectively ended their season in hindsight. But uh, I, I think and uh, people are not going to like this one, but I think Blake Cashman had he played a lot and he really struggled when he's out there uh, on the plus side. I think he's a rookie. He's a fifth round pick and he had some really good moments, especially in that Browns game. So going forward, he does have a lot of potential to be a really good sub player in coverage, uh, really good and depth at linebacker. Teams. Yeah. And on special teams. So I'm excited about him going forward, but uh, when he was out there, he looked like a fifth round rookie. And again, I'm not blaming him too much because he was thrown in there a lot earlier than the team probably expected him uh, to have to be out there. But when he was out there, his run defense was uh, a big problem in coverage. He was uh, taking advantage of a lot. So I think Cashman, just because of playing time, probably was less valuable than Johnson was. But Johnson was definitely the worst player. But I want to be clear on Cashman. He has a lot of potential. He is uh, a, r- a really exciting player to have going forward. But while he was out there, he was a liability this year. Yeah, I mean, look, he's a fifth round rookie who started the year as the fourth string linebacker and then by week one was thrown into starting. You know what I mean? So I don't really blame him that much. You know, the flashes justify the pick enough to me. And as you said, I think he'll be at the very least. And that's that's a big thing uh, with rookies too. We're going to talk about Quinn Williams a lot more throughout the offseason, even in this episode. But just you want to see flashes. That's really what you want. Uh, to right. see from them just those moments that show you okay if they can harness this they could do this on a more consistent basis you know going forward when they get their bodies more acclimated to the league just get more mentally used to playing against the step up in competition that they have the ability to make big plays in the league right and we'll talk about this when we, when we do a little brief preview of the off uh, offseason what exactly the Jets should do with that inside linebacker position because obviously Moses is coming back um, which would be a huge boost to this defense that you know, inside linebacker was probably a bit of a strength last year, even with the injuries. Uh, they played all right. Uh, but with Hewitt and Cashman and Burgess and, and Avery Williamson, uh, there's just a lot that that'll go into uh, what exactly they'll do this offseason. But uh, continuing, biggest surprise of the year, and there's a few, and they're all on defense. Uh, Nathan Shepard is the first one that comes to mind, as, as Michael pointed out before we were talking. I mean, he was, or before he started the show, I mean, he was probably about as big as a surprise as you could have. He went from pretty much completely disregarded by all Jets fans. And in in hindsight, it's like, well, he was a third-round pick. You know, he's a defensive lineman. Maybe he should have gotten more time, but I think fans are frustrated because he's, you know, he's 26. He, you know, played D2 or whatever. And uh, he just was overall very unimpressive in his first year. But he's come out and he's looked pretty good um, this year. He looks like a very solid rotational piece and a guy who who could be on this defensive line for, for years to come. Um, you know, other guys, bless Austin, Terrell uh, Basham. There were a lot of guys up, Kyle Phillips, a lot of guys up front who just really jumped off the, the page to me. Michael, I mean, do you have any others? Or do you agree with these? Yeah, Shepard is a great pick. He was a guy who, you know, like you said, was unimpressive as a rookie. He was a liability, really did uh, create a nothing as a pass rusher and run defense was consistently blown off the ball. But this year he comes out after that suspension. And the thing with Shepard is that, like you said, he's so old. He's 26 years old already. After having a season like that, you you when you draft a player that old, I think part of the reason you do is because you hope he can make an impact right away. So having not done that, there I, personally for me at least, there I did not have a lot of hope that he'd progress. But he came back off that suspension and definitely did that. He was a really good pass rusher this year. Uh, 
21st out of 118 qualified interior defensive linemen uh, in pressure percentage, create pressure on 10.5% of his pass rush snaps. So that was really good. He's definitely uh, got a lot of burst and quickness as a pass rusher. So that's really where he brings his value. Still a ways to go a little bit and run defense, but he's a lot better there this year as well. So Shepard was a big step up. He uh, definitely is probably was their best pass rusher on the interior defensive line this season. So he's a great piece to have going forward. Kyle Phillips was a great one. Uh, an undrafted free agent who was a really good run defender on the edge this season. Uh, and then bless on Austin coming out of nowhere, sixth round pick didn't even practice until October, uh, obviously didn't play in the preseason. And uh, just for him to come in, in that giants game, then have a nice five game stretch there where he was one of the, you know, least targeted cornerbacks in the league, gave up some of the fewest uh, yardage totals, whatever it was. Uh, and, really did not give up much of anything over those five games uh, that he started towards the end there. Obviously didn't finish well, had a terrible play against the Steelers the end of the first half, and Greg Williams put him in the doghouse from that point on, which I don't agree with, but obviously they have a lot more knowledge than I do about uh, his development. But still, for him to come in and beat all odds and be not just okay, but really good at the end of the season, Austin is definitely really exciting going yeah. forward. So uh, just Greg Williams overall, all the de- the development on this defense is just such a great testament to what he's able to do. Yeah, and you look at the best teams around the league that they have very, you know, very good nucleus um, uh, of young players, but also just great depth. And a guy like Bless Austin, I, you know, I think he will compete for a starting job next year. But those guys like Shepard and Phillips and Basham, those are guys that, you know, they could if a guy goes down, they can fill in and start, and you're not going to see too much of a drop off. They're just that next man up philosophy. They're just great depth, and they can also make these splash plays. They're not just guys to eat up blocks. They're not just you know jags or whatever. These are really solid depth pieces with with the higher ceilings to be even more. Um, just yeah, I think overall Greg Williams did a terrific job, and it just shows you the importance of good coaching, which the Jets really haven't had. I think Greg Williams is the best coach the Jets have had in here. You could make the argument since. Uh, Maybe Rex Ryan in the first few years, what yeah, he was prob- doing with that defense. Probably first two years, Rex is the last time you had a coach doing as good a job as Greg did. But then you could look at that and say, well, Rex was winning with Mangini's play. Yeah, I mean, th- you're right. So I, I mean, really, you just look at when you take into account the personnel, the talent, everything. It's one of the best jobs that they maybe since Parcells, really. Yeah. And and. Look, uh, we'll we'll talk more about Greg, but uh, actually, I mean, well, I'll, I'll we're coming back to Greg in literally just a second. Before we get to that, let's go biggest disappointment, and I think this one for me, um, which turned into a very good move, um, but it's Leonard Williams. I think we talked about it a little bit in this podcast, you know, maybe switching into more of Greg Williams as an attacking. Uh, he'll play a lot more four three defensive tackle. I thought that Leonard Williams could maybe make that jump in a contract year or whatever to being a guy who we knew he wasn't ever going to be. You know, Warren Sapp or a guy who's going to get a ton of sacks or whatever, but maybe a guy who can just, you know, get seven or eight sacks a year, be really good against the run, eat up double teams or whatever, just make his presence felt on a weekly basis. But especially this year, and and it's been a a steady decline, but especially this year, I mean, there was just no... You could watch the whole game and not hear Leonard Williams' name once, which is not something you want to see for a guy that you were expecting a big season out of and a guy you might give um, a, a lot of money to this offseason. But look, that trade that, that Joe Douglas pulled off was absolutely fantastic. The fact that Dave Gettleman is staying points to me that that they should sign Leo to an extension. So that means 
that we traded Leonard Williams for a third this year, which gives us four picks in the top 80 and a fourth next year, which, you know, there are a lot of good players. You saw, you watch the playoffs this weekend, you'll see a lot of good players who are taken in those, you know, third, fourth, fifth rounds. Uh, but overall, I think he, he, during his time with the Jets, really could say his career, but especially this year, um, was the biggest disappointment of the year. Yeah, I agree. And it's especially so because, as you mentioned this year, we were hoping this would be the season that he kind of elevated to that dominant status, uh, getting to play under Greg Williams and having more opportunities to attack. And he didn't really get those as much as we thought he would under Greg. But really this season, I've always been one of Leo's biggest supporters, but this was his worst season uh, by far. He took a big step back. Usually he is making those plays where he's creating pressures, getting hits, making an impact and run defense, all of that beyond the stat sheet stuff at a very high level. Uh, he really was not doing that for the Jets. He was very quiet throughout most of his games this season. Uh, and as you mentioned, to get that value uh, for him in the middle of the season and to trade him at his lowest point of value, really, with the way he was playing, uh, definitely was a great pickup for Joe Douglas. And that's going to it's really going to give them a lot going forward. And the Jets out of uh, now Sheldon Richardson, now Leonard Williams have been doing a pretty nice job over the past few seasons, picking up these late round picks. Now the uh, thing that they got to do is actually get some good players out of them. So that's hopefully uh, something Joe Douglas will do well that Mike McCagnan did at a league worst level. Uh, so they do have some there. They are set up pretty well with the late round picks and trading Leonard Williams uh, was a, a definitely good pickup for them. So it was a disappointing season for him. I think ultimately he was very underrated while he was with the Jets. But this season, I think the criticism was deserved. Right. I, I agree with that. Um, now we'll go to best offseason move. And the reason I brought up Greg Williams is that I kind of want to go a little bit off the beaten path here. And I would say that I have a few here, but Greg Williams would be up there because, it, you know, regardless of how things have turned out with Gase, you couldn't have asked for much more out of Greg Williams. He's already proven himself that he can coach his ass off. Um, and he's a guy that even if the Jets were to fire Gase after 2020, that I think could survive that and be the defensive coordinator in the future. I mean, he's he's getting the best out of Jamal Adams, the best out of Marcus May, the best out of a lot of guys who fans didn't even know their names at the start of the season. Um, so Greg would be, and you know, who knows, maybe he's a guy who slides in after Gase, or if Gase gets the can in the middle of the year and can slide in as that interim coach, who knows. But Greg Williams, all we know is the Jets have, at the very least, one very good uh, fantastic coach uh, in that building. And I would imagine his staff is is probably similar and same with Brent Boyer. Uh, it's really just that offensive coaching side that they have to worry about. Um, and then let's take it to the next level of of, of um, organizational structure that I'm comfortable in. And this comes with an offseason move. I would say best offseason move for me, number one, would be firing Michael Kagman. And it was especially when they did because they've given Joe Douglas a whole process. He's built his his team. He's built... Um, the way they're going to scout players, they don't, you know, he he's basically fully been able to implement an entire year as the general manager of the New York Jets, and I think that'll pay dividends for him because he really knows this off this this roster inside and out, um, and you know, just not having to deal with another uh, year of Mac or I mean, he probably would have been fired after this year regardless, but I think it was just overall a very good move to bring him in. They got him in before any other. Um, teams needed the GM, except outside of maybe the Texans or whatever. They got him in, and I would say the firing Mike McCagney would be the, the best move uh, for me, and then followed shortly by uh, bringing Greg Williams as defensive coordinator. Michael, what about you? Yeah, the timing obviously was weird with Mike McCagden, but ultimately it was a good move because he was the worst drafter in the league in terms of the production the Jets were able to get with their picks versus uh, the expectation of what they should have gotten out of those picks was easily the worst in the league while he was there, especially in the later rounds, even with being boosted up by having Sam Darnold, Jamal Adams, Leonard Williams in the first round. What he did beyond the first round was 
absolutely awful and the Jets were not going to be able to build anything with him going forward. So with Joe Douglas, you know, as I was just mentioning a few minutes ago, you know, being able to hit on those late round picks and the Jets are set up pretty well with decent position in those later rounds, being able to hit on those picks is what's ultimately going to decide whether or not the Jets uh, can build a winner going forward and be able to uh, put themselves in a position to compete consistently. So that was definitely a plus in terms of the offseason. But Brian Poole also, I think, was a huge addition because uh, what he was able to do this season, he played at an elite level. He allowed the fewest yards per cover snap out of the slot out of any qualified cornerback in the league. And you look at the Jets this season, they were 18th in pass defense DVOA, so close to middle of the pack, even with no edge rush whatsoever. Uh, not a lot of pressure from the defensive line either. At cornerback, they cycled through, you know, Tremaine Johnson, Daryl Roberts, Nate Harrison had some rough moments. He had some positive moments too, but the Jets rotated through a lot of players at cornerback who mostly struggled, had no edge rush, but they were still close to the middle of the pack uh, in terms of their pass defense, and I think that's because of two guys, what Jamal Adams did, you know, as a pass rusher and in coverage, he was top three in most coverage categories, yards after catch per reception, yards per co- uh, cover snap. Jamal Adams was top three among safeties in most of those categories, but Brian Poole was excellent as well. So I think those two guys both played at an elite level in coverage, and that's what elevated the Jets from, uh, you know, having the caliber to be one of the worst coverage teams in the league, pass defenses in the league, to being pretty average, just being able to have those two guys play an elite level. So Brian Poole is a great pickup, and uh, his contra- uh, his free agency is definitely going to be one of the interesting topics for the Jets this season. Uh, agreed. As far as the worst offseason move, this one's easy. It would I can't imagine. I mean, you could go with Khalil, whatever. I think it's Ja'Kai Polite drafting him in the third round is one of the probably one of the worst draft picks uh, in the history of the NFL, given that he's completely out of it and he didn't even play a down. Just an awful, awful, awful pick. But you know, at the same time, from our perspective, we liked the pick, but we also don't have all the insight onto all the red flags that went into him uh, on his off-field and his work ethic and whatnot. Um, so I'll ignore Ja'Kai Polite, um, but he would probably have to be it. Outside of that, the two that come to mind very easily, you know, this will raise some eyebrows maybe for you, Michael, but it's also, this isn't necessarily blaming the player himself. It's just more the situation. The first one was drafting Quinn and Williams. Because, you know, and look, Quinnen, look, especially for rookie young defensive linemen, they normally don't have a very dominant year, their rookie year. And Quinnen did have some flashes and he could very well next year, you know, really hit the ground running, make a huge leap and be one of the best defensive linemen in the NFL. Even if that happens, he was still probably the wrong choice for the Jets. And I think Joe Douglas would probably agree, even though Quinnen might be a very talented player, unless he's Aaron Donald, which I don't think he will be taking Josh Allen as an edge rusher or probably trading down just looked like much better moves for the team is that they didn't need another interior defensive lineman when you had a 22 year old quarterback you're trying to build around and a defensive line that would have been fine without Quinn and Williams um just overall I, I think that would be up there as far as taking him third overall that they, they could have used that resource significantly better and the other one would be signing Le'Veon Bell and it's not because they signed him because I was in favor of signing Le'Veon Bell it's more just the way that Adam Gase has used him has rendered him pretty much useless. And you can't say that he, that he wasn't a bad offseason move from that you know perspective. Look at the money that they paid him and, and then the way that they used him. I still have hope for him. I'm hoping that Adam Gase can just get it right. Look at what he did in Pittsburgh. Use him out of the backfield more. Throw the ball to him. Get him out in space more. Don't just run him you know, in between the guard and the center. Um I'm interested to see what happens with Le'Veon Bell. I don't. I think he will be back. I don't think they're going to trade him with that contract. So I'm interested to see what a 2020 Le'Veon Bell looks like. Um, but I would have to say those are up there with worst offseason moves. What about you, Michael? 
Yeah, so on Quinn Williams, I have to say that, you know, he's a decent pick for the most uh, for the worst offseason move. I think it is fair to say he's disappointing. When you take a player third overall, you're expecting him to to make an impact right away. Unless it's a franchise quarterback, you're probably expecting uh, that guy to come in and make an instant impact, especially on the interior defensive line. And he didn't do that. He was not as good as Steve McClendon. I don't think he was as good as Shepard or Fadakasi. So, you know, it's very fair and obvious to look at that and uh, see him as a disappointment. So in terms of his rookie year, yes, I think it was disappointing. But I also think you have to keep in mind that he's 21 years old. He was a, a very young prospect for the top of the draft. He only started that one year at Alabama. So this is a guy who came in pretty raw and, uh, you know, was the sort of player who, even though he was dominant enough to potentially dominate in the NFL as a rookie, still had that room to grow if he didn't do that. So I think uh, really throughout the season, I think he was underrated. I think there were plays where he created pressure that had an impact that didn't get as much attention as they should have. I think in run defense, he was very good. Uh, I think he missed only one tackle as a in run defense all season, and he just played his role very well, taking on double teams, uh, opening up lanes for the linebackers to have easy tackles. So I think he was a good, solid player this season, but definitely disappointing versus the third overall pick. But I do think, and we're going to get into this more later, but I do think he is one of my favorite breakout candidates uh, for next season. But I agree with what you said. There were other ways, uh, especially in hindsight, looking at how some of those other players did, like Josh Allen, for example, uh, the Jaguars, uh, where they could have gone and maybe got more impact this season. But I'm I'm a big fan of Quinn Williams. I like what he did this season. Uh, so I, I will disagree, but I think it is a fair choice to make because of the rookie year impact. And in terms of Bell, obviously the production was uh, pretty awful in terms of his efficiency, but at least for me, uh, in terms of what he did on the field, you just look at him, you know, playing the game and just running the football, making guys miss. Uh, I really think he's pretty much the same player that he was in Pittsburgh. It's just the Jets were last in the league in yards before contact by a wide margin uh, per attempt on a per attempt basis, yards before contact. They were last. Uh, the offensive line is terrible this season. There was nothing for him to do with that. So uh, I think Le'Veon Bell and Quinn and Williams, very disappointing results, but I think there are a lot of reasons to be optimistic. You know, if Bell right. does save the Jets, I think there's a lot of reasons to be optimistic with those two guys. But for me, I think another one, another candidate for worst offseason move would be the trade for Coleccio Semley, it was a low-risk move, but ultimately uh, the Jets had a big hole at left guard after last season, and that was their solution to fix that. It was a very important position for them to fix. Really, the whole O-line had uh, a lot had a lot of needs on it, and their solution, and you could pair that with Khalil as well. Uh, those two guys as your two offensive line solutions, uh, it, it really didn't work out good for them, and there were good guards available. Roger Saffold uh, with the Titans is now really one of the driving forces behind them being in the AFC Championship. So I think the, those two O-line moves, as those being their only two solutions on the offensive line, uh, definitely were some uh, did not work out well for them. Yeah, when you talk about Quinn, and I, and uh, you know, obviously, you know, I, I talk about how they could have traded back or whatnot. Uh, and, and that's how I would have wanted to. I guess I have to remember that Michael Cagnon still was the GM. So trading back and having Michael Cagnon take, you know, another three players that are, you know, bums, I guess wouldn't have been better. Quinton Williams, you know, has a higher ceiling than anybody they would have drafted in that spot. So the hope right now is that Quinton can turn into an elite, you know, top tier interior defensive lineman. You know, I'm not saying he has to be Aaron Donald, but it's just something where he can, you know, get eight to 10 sacks a year you know, be a consistent force against the run, split double teams, attract double teams, and free up guys around him. If he can just be kind of a havoc maker in that sense, he'll be, 
you know, at least a good player, potentially a great player on this roster, and you can never really complain about that. It's more of just the value um, and, and you know, the, the results we've, we've had yeah, so yeah. far. He's a nice uh, player, but you definitely got to see more to be worth number three. Agreed. And as far as so the next topic, most improved. So this is somebody who had to be on the roster in 2018 to 2019. There's a lot of guys you could choose here. But for me, it, and look, Shepard is up there as well. Um, fully fought Akasi, though, is the guy that, that as far as most improved, um, just the, the biggest step taken forward. I mean, he went from a guy that a lot of people didn't even think could make the roster to a guy who I think is our starting defensive tackle next year. I mean, he was absolutely awesome, particularly against the run. Um you know, just really display great quickness and burst for a guy that size. I mean, he's a big man in that, you know, on that defensive line. And, and, and he really impressed me. I think fully fought of was one of the biggest bright spots uh, for the jets in 2019. Mike, what do you think? Yeah, I agree. A guy who played three snaps last year was a sixth round pick, uh, extremely deep defensive line group to compete against has a great preseason, makes the roster carries over what he did in the preseason and looks equally as dominant in the regular season. He's a great run defender. Uh, so, yeah, he's definitely the best. I think definitely think the most improved player uh, for the Jets. Nathan Shepard is right there with him. But Shepard also did uh, at least play last season, was good enough on, uh, in practice to earn that role, to play them throughout the season. Fadakasi didn't even uh, do that, uh, impress enough to get onto the field. So for him to go from that to a beastly run defender uh, is a huge step up. Yeah, and as far as most regressed goes, um, you know, despite the Jets not being good at all this year, um, you know, I guess it was their best record in a while, but there wasn't much regression as we were talking about it. Uh, you know, I guess you could say Le'Veon Bell, but as you said, I don't know if that was as much of a product of him as it was the situation. Also, he wasn't on the team last year, so he doesn't really fit the what we were looking for. I guess the only guy that comes to mind really is Henry Anderson, but that doesn't necessarily mean that Henry Anderson had a bad season or he isn't a guy that should be here in the future. It just means that he maybe didn't have the season that that. You know, some people thought he could have, but he was still a very solid contributor. I expect to see him as a, a good rotational piece for the Jets in the future. But, uh, Michael, do you have any other guys maybe for, for most regressed? I think Daryl Roberts comes to mind, not because he was ever a good player, but I think last year there were moments where he looked, you know, pretty solid, like a potentially good number three, uh, which is a role they pretty much had him in this year, or he was a number two to start the season. But uh, ultimately, you just wanted good depth out of him this year, and he was pretty bad most of the time he's out there this season. Uh, so for him to go from last season, I think kind of showing some promising signs to being uh, pretty much a complete zero as an outside corner this season was, uh, I think that's a big step back. But, but I think I agree. There really was not a whole lot of regression this season. And that's not to say that, you know, the whole entire roster is trending up and everything's great, but there really were not a whole lot of examples of uh, big time regression from important young players going forward. And I think that's something that's positive. All right. Yeah. A few more of these, and then we'll get to uh, just a brief off season overview and then we'll, we'll get out of here after a few more things. But uh, yeah, I guess the next one best depth. Uh, I think you have to look at the inside linebacker position, specifically James Burgess and, and Neville Hewitt. You can even throw Blake Cashman in there as well, even though you weren't, as big of a fan of his, but as far as on the team, you know, losing, we looked at, at the start of the season and let's go back to July inside linebacker was arguably the, the jets strongest position. I mean, you look at Avery Williamson and CJ Mosley, arguably two of the best in the league starting right alongside each other. Um, of course, Avery Williamson goes down in preseason and CJ Mosley goes down week one. And I don't mean CJ Mosley was absolutely dominating that game. Um, it seems like ages ago, but he, I mean, he looked like, 
an unstoppable force on defense. I mean, it was it was jarring how good he was. And then you know he gets hurt on an incredible pass defense. You know, Cat or uh, yeah, Cashman and Hewitt had to slide in, and the team completely crumbled. But so I figured, you know, God, well Mosley's out. This team is going to be awful. But they really stepped up. You know, they're not the greatest inside linebackers in the world, but Neville Hewitt really showed that he can be a great run-stopping inside linebacker. He should never be covering, you know, receivers 40 yards down the field. Uh, James Burgess played pretty well as a, as a good depth piece, and same with Blake Cashman. So I would say that's the best depth spot uh, or the most impressive depth spot uh, for the Jets in 2019. What about you, Michael? Yeah, I would agree, and definitely because, like, you know, you lost Avery Williamson before the season started. You lose C.J. Mosley three quarters of one game into the season. Uh, and those two guys, I think, first of all, that, you know, it's clear that C.J. Mosley and Avery Williamson are a lot better than they are. Those two guys are two of the best uh, in the league, like you said, and those uh, Burgess and Hewitt miss a lot of tackles. They struggled in coverage, although they were asked to handle some pretty difficult responsibilities in coverage. Uh, they were definitely below average starters. But I think uh, with, with those two guys going down uh, in the starting lineup and getting knocked to your third, fourth string there, you expected a lot worse. I think there are a lot of teams that got a lot worse out of their backup linebackers this year. One of them being the Kansas City Chiefs with the guy who, who the Jets traded to them, who they trade uh, drafted in the first round a couple years ago. A uh, uh, guy, Darren Lee, who gave up, uh, did not force a single incompletion on, I think, about 20 targets this season. So there are teams that got a lot worse depth out of their linebackers this season. Burgess and Hewitt came in. They were not good. I don't even think they're average, but they were a lot better than I think you expected to get out of them, especially Burgess guy who had to fight to make the team. Hewitt, who's been a backup throughout his career. Uh, so those two guys definitely came in and they held the fort down. That's what you wanted out of them. And going forward, if you have Burgess, Hewitt and Cashman as your backup linebackers, that's probably one of the maybe the best group of backup inside linebackers in the league. And again, Williamson and Mosley, they're a lot better than those two guys are. You definitely want to hold on to Williamson and Mosley going forward. They're big upgrades, but uh, those two guys came in and they held the fort down pretty decently. Yeah, I think it's an important spot for the Jets to have a lot of depth at because knowing Greg, you know, he likes to use tons of different defensive formations up front. And when he goes to that 4-3 look, you could argue that the Jets don't really have a good... 4-3 outside linebacker, a linebacker who's good in coverage on that on that outside spot. Maybe Brandon Copeland's, you know, been forced to play there a little bit. But having guys in the backup who, who are back at the inside linebacker who could, you know, potentially play 35 to 50 percent of the snaps. You know, a guy like Hewitt could be filling in at that 4-3 outside linebacking spot when, when Williamson and Mosley are healthy in certain packages or Cashman or Burgess or whatever. These guys are going to get out in that field regardless of injuries. Um, so yeah, it's something I'm excited about looking forward to 2020 as far as best play of the season. I, I think we disagree on this one. Mine has to be the, the Robbie Anderson bomb, which was our intro, I think for one episode when we thought the jets could uh, maybe turn their season around, you know, it was just the moment getting Sam Darnold back after that horrible first month of football. Um, it was an exciting play against a team at the time we thought was a very good team. You know, people had the Cowboys, you know, in the Super Bowl before the season started. So, just the whole situation of it. It was a beautiful play. It was a beautiful pass. And Michael and I were talking about this earlier is one of the things we want to see Darnold improve on. And this will be more in our episodes in the next few weeks is his deep ball accuracy that those passes, you know, 35 to 50 yards down the field. We didn't see, we haven't seen too much of pin, that pinpoint accuracy. We've seen it in spurts. That play to Robbie is one of them. Just an overall beautiful play. You couldn't drop any, draw it up any better. Um, but, but Michael, what's yours? 
I do agree on this one. I, I went insane for that play, probably as loud as I've gone for Jets play in a long oh, time. We, yeah, we have the recording. Don't worry. Yeah, yeah, we do. And pro- probably since that Giants game in 2015. But ev- everything was so great about it. Just the circumstances. It was everything coming together. All the ineptitude the Jets had dealt with over the past few weeks. Getting Darnold back and just boom, one play, 92 yards. You're up 14 to three, and it feels like the team's back. Uh, and and just from a football standpoint, it was, you know, he dodged the pressure and stepped up in the pocket, threw it over uh, the offensive line in front of him. It was a highly pressured throw. He had to slide over. Uh, it was off balance. It was a deep throw down the field, and he put it in the perfect spot. It was an amazing play, and just the timing of it uh, was incredible. So that was great. But Jamal Adams' strip sack of Daniel Jones has to be a great runner-up. That was just that was disrespectful. That was, that, that was what I said when I saw it. That was very mean. That was a rude play. Yeah, and it was an awesome play for, for a Jets fan to have over the Giants for the next four years. Um, as far as the best game goes, um, you could argue that the Cowboys game, just because of the time, it was like, all right, here we go. We've turned our season around. we got a big game against New England. Here we go. Um, but as far as the best overall team game, that game against the Raiders in, o- uh, in New York, but against Oakland, um, was just thoroughly impressive. A team that's vying for a playoff spot that needed that win. Um, that you know was given it their all, and the this Jets team at home in front of their fans to win three in a row, just played team football. All three phases were on there uh, on uh, on that day, uh, which is something you didn't really see. I mean, you didn't see it all throughout the entire season. But defense, the passing game, the running game, special teams, whatever, everything was on. Sam Darnold played a great game. The defense had a great game. It was overall just the perfect type of game that kind of the Detroit lions 2018 type of game that the jets sorely missed and need more of in 2020. Yeah. You summed it up pretty good. And it kind of goes with the the best play part too. The Cowboys wasn't their most dominant performance, but the timing of it, Darnold returning and leading them to a win over a good team in the Cowboys. Uh, that was just a lot of fun, really exciting and rejuvenating. I think is the best word for it. We were saying it a lot then and it still applies, but uh, all, the Raiders games, their most dominant performance all around and it was their biggest smart it matched the Lions game last year winning by 31 uh, but those two games are their biggest margins in a in a, a long time I think over a decade but uh, they were dominant against the Raiders and that's a team that came in at six and four and that win started the Raiders slide that knocked them out of the playoffs so uh, that was definitely their most dominant game for sure agreed all right and then the last one of these season awards these the cool your jets awards for 2019 uh, looking the, the player you're most looking forward to seeing in 2020. I think both of us and everybody around every Jets fan would probably say Sam Darnold. So we're going to remove him from the competition. Um, Michael, what's your take on that? I'm going to go with Quinton Williams here. I really think he's in position for a breakout next season. I compare, I compare him a lot to Jamal Adams. You remember Jamal's rookie season. He was 21 years old. So again, like Quinton Williams, uh, a young rookie, not a guy coming in with the most seasoning. And so he was young and just overall, he wasn't good. I don't even think he was average. I think Jamal's below average as a rookie, but you saw so many moments from him in run defense, just with his motor and his hustle and even in coverage. I think he gave up a lot of touchdowns and coverage that season, a lot of big plays, but most of the ones he gave up, he was right there. He was so close to tipping balls, making interceptions. Uh, there were plays where he laid big hits on guys, but they still made catches. So you could see that even though Jamal wasn't, a good a good player or didn't make a great impact as a rookie 
that you could see that potential that with just slight improvement, he was going to be a really good player. And he ended up doing that. So I see the same thing with Quinn and Williams. I think there were so many moments this season uh, where he put some really good moments on tape against some really good offensive linemen against the Cowboys, the Eagles. Uh, I think he had so many really good moments throughout the season and that with just a little bit more improvement. This is 21 year old guy who didn't have a ton of experience coming in has really special raw tools, uh, physical tools that he's working with. And just uh, his pass rush repertoire is really good as well. We didn't see a ton of it this season, but you know, he has it from college uh, with a little bit more seasoning. I think he's going to get there and make that leap just like Jamal Adams did. So I'm looking forward to a big season from him next year. Great. I think Quinn has to be the pick, but if you're going to go somewhere else, I think uh, between Chris Herndon Coming back from injury, I'm excited to see him, uh, see the chemistry that he had with Sam Darnold. You know, we know how big it was for Sam to lose him. You know, obviously Ryan Griffin's going to come back, so I'm, I'm kind of excited to see those two working in sync, kind of having a two tight end system, which the Jets haven't really been had the luxury of, of using. Um, and then I guess another one could be Chuma Adoga. I'm kind of excited to see if he makes any tor- sort of leap because if he could really cement himself as a starting tackle for this team, probably on the right side, that would be huge for the Jets. Um, and I know, you know, all the reports say the staff still loves him or whatever. So I'm kind of excited to see Chuma for next year. All right. Uh, now that we've done the awards, let's go brief over, you know, kind of a priority list for the Jets for this offseason. We're going to do more episodes, more in depth on on what um, how they should kind of attack these different things. But priority list. The first one is not something that I think the Jets will do. If I'm being completely honest, I think it's something they should do. But I again, I don't think Gase is is. Um, I think Gase is probably too stubborn when it comes to this, but it's bringing a quarterback coach, bringing a guy whose sole job is just to work on Sam Darnold and his mechanics. You look at a guy like, and this maybe this is a pipe dream, maybe it won't come true, but he does have connections to Joe Douglas for the Eagles, but John DeFilippo, who was just let go as the Jaguars offensive coordinator, you look at the work that he did with the young Carson Wentz, a young Gardner Minshew, uh, it doesn't even have to be him. Just somebody who can come in, you know, Dow Loggins can just be your offensive coordinator. That's his title. And and even though it's pretty much just Gase, he can be Gase's lapdog and, and organize the practices and whatever. But bring in a quarterback coach whose sole job is to work on Sam's footwork, his mechanics, you know, how he's going through his reads and just uh, the protections or whatever. Just bring in a guy whose sole focus is Sam Darnold, and that is his sole job. Uh, and I, I know Gase was saying he doesn't want to have too many voices in his ears or whatever. It's like, okay, but. We saw that Sam's footwork regressed and his mechanics at times regressed. If you could just have a guy who's consistently working on it with him, I think you'll see a lot of improvement in Sam's play. Um, secondly, uh, well, actually, Michael, do you have anything to add as far as the, the quarterbacks coach go? Yeah, I think that would go a long way. And like you said, it's not probably not going to happen. It's too much to expect from Gase. But that, that definitely would be a good uh, good way for to help Sam Darnold's development, I think. Yeah, and look, it still could happen. There's still time. He said he's not, he's not looking at making any staff changes. I disagree with that. I think I think some heads should roll uh, for for the offensive uh, performance, even though it probably falls on Gase. But at the very least, I think you need to bring in somebody at that quarterback coach position. Uh, secondly, you, I think there's there is actually quite a few guys that the Jets need to resign this year, and not even the, just the ones that I'm about to list. I think there's some depth pieces uh, that they they should look at to bring back that they should look to bring back in 2020 because. Those are guys that you're not necessarily going to find on the open market. You're just guys who know the system, who you know can stay healthy, you know can fill in, and you can do a solid job. But as far as the guys we they really need to look at re-signing, uh, Brian Poole, number one for me, uh, you really want to make sure he's a perfect fit in Greg Williams' system as that nickel slot corner. 
Uh, Jordan Jenkins, another guy who can start uh, at that weak side outside linebacker position and really just or strong side outside linebacker position and really just provides um, great run support. He improves as a pass rusher. He's a, just a solid, you know, foundational guy. He's not the flashiest player, but he does the dirty work. Robbie Anderson, we know he's established a lot of connections with Sam Darnold. You know, we'll see what that price tag looks like. You know, plus they would get a uh, a third round compensatory pick if uh, he was to be released. Um, but or at least if he was to not be resigned. However, Robbie is probably not a w- number one wide receiver, but at the very at the very least, he's a high end number two with an elite specialty in that deep ball, which really hasn't been fully utilized. You know, here in New York, I mean, we've seen so much, so many times we've seen. You look at the coaches' film that Robbie Anderson is wide open, uh, but either the quarterback couldn't get it to him, the quarterback was sacked, the quarterback missed him, whatever. Robbie, if he goes to a team like the Eagles or, or whatever, who have a very solid offensive line and a quarterback who can hit that deep ball, he goes there, he's going to absolutely flourish uh, as long as he's not the sole guy. So Robbie's a guy you have to consider. And then Alex Lewis at left guard, I think the Jets, uh, and I'll throw Kelvin Beecham in here now as well, um, have to completely overthrow their offensive line. But I think you, you can't do all five spots in one offseason. I think you bring back Alex Lewis, you bring back Kelvin Beecham, you bring back the guys who you know were at least solid. You work at, you know, fixing the right guard, the right tackle, a new center. Maybe you draft a, a, a left tackle and Beecham just, you know, plays right tackle or he's just a vet that starts over a rookie or whatever. But I think you bring all those guys back. Michael, anything to add as far as uh, guys the Jets should resign? Yeah, I definitely agree on Brian Poole is a good one. Uh, he was and slot corner is a tough position because there's so much volatility there. They ha- really have. Uh, they're very inconsistent. There will be years where they're great and years where they're, you know, they really struggle. Brian Poole in his rookie season was really good and then wasn't quite as productive his next two seasons. But I think you have to bring him back because uh, he was great. Uh, one of the most valuable players in the team. So uh, it's just much better to bring him back instead of trying to find someone new there. But Robbie Anderson as well. I agree on him. And really, you look at his production in games where the starters have been healthy. Uh, it's been a lot better than what his raw numbers are. And then you just for the fact that he's still played with four different offensive coordinators throughout the course of his career, that he's played with one of the worst offensive lines in the league over the course of his career. And that really hurts a deep receiver more than any other, uh, you know, variety of pass catcher, because, you know, if the quarterback doesn't have the time to drop back and let uh, guys get open deep. There are not going to be a ton of opportunities to get him the ball. And we see that constantly with Robbie Anderson, where he is uh, beating people down the field, but the, you know, usually Sam Darnold, but even go back to Josh McCown, just quarterback hasn't had the time to get him the ball because the pass protection is so bad. So I, I think like you said, the Eagles, if he went to a team like that, good O-line, good quarterback, good system, uh, he could easily put up a thousand yards, eight touchdowns, 60 catches on a consistent basis. And his numbers with, uh, healthy Darnold, healthy McCown in 2017, uh, really have put him on pace to be in that range, even in spite of the O-line. So I'm a huge Robbie Anderson fan. I think so many things have held his numbers down. He's a very good player. He should come back, and especially because, you know, you look at what the Jets have beyond him at receiver. Obviously, you have Crowder in the slot, but outside, you know, you have Vincent Smith, Demarius Thomas's free agent, and Braxton Berrios. It's not, and, and Berrios isn't even an outside guy, but uh, they're very thin there, so to open up another hole... Uh, and bring in a guy who you don't know if he has that chemistry with Sam Darnold, like we know Robbie Anderson does, uh, I think would be a, a huge risk and definitely just creating another hole. So re-signing those two guys, huge priority. But 
the offensive line is a huge one. Center is a position that I really think they need to fix. Well, Jonathan Harrison is. Well, yeah, hold on, let's let's because that's yeah. where we're, right, we're right. about to get right into that. Is as far as what Joe Douglas should be bringing in in that offseason, and I guess we'll just right. start with the offensive line, like you said. I think yeah, three new and look there's plenty more depth spots and stuff that he might address but as far as starters and and things that joe douglas really has to focus on i think you're looking at at least three new starters on that offensive yeah. line um assuming you bring back you know beecham and, and lewis and maybe Adogas competing for that right tackle spot so maybe the third you know starter you bring in is more of just an a veteran who, who could play but at the very least i think you're going hard after brandon scherf at right guard Joe Tooney's also a, a free agent. I think you need to bring in a guard, like you were just talking about center. I think that's a position that they're probably going to address in the draft. You know, probably with a, that one of those third round picks, you take a center, and then he competes with Jonathan Harrison in the offseason. And then you net, yeah, you need a tackle. So a guard, a center, and a tackle, some more depth. And then also, this is something that you were talking about. Maybe you can add a little bit more onto this. Was the importance of a blocking tight end yes, in yes. today's league? I'll just turn the mic over to you. I know this is you're you're excited about this one. Yeah, blocking a tight end really killed the Jets this year. Ryan Griffin, for all he did as a receiver, uh, in the run game, he killed them so much, as much as any O-lineman did. It was such an issue. The Jets, uh, in terms of pressures allowed uh, among tight ends, most in the league, tied with the Lions. Uh, Their rushing numbers on runs directed outside the tight end, fewest yards per attempt, lowest first down rate, fewest yards before contact per attempt. So, Across the board is really bad. Daniel Brown really struggled. Javon Wesco was uh, showed potential like we've been talking about the young guys. He had some really strong uh, some moments where you saw why he was a fourth round pick as a blocking tight end. But overall, he uh, Wesco really struggled. So all uh, really the entire group was a huge liability in the blocking game. So having heard him back will help. I think he's an average blocker. He developed uh, into that late in his rookie season. But I think. Uh, beyond Herndon, you really need that guy who's just a, a blocking tight end, the guy to go out there and just small people on the edge, keep the quarterback safe, help uh, you know chip guys on the edge, block and release, stuff like that, just really provide that extra edge uh, out there in pass protection and in the run game, but especially in the run game where uh, Ryan Griffin really killed the Jets a lot this year and Daniel Brown as well. So just to add a guy like Levine Toilolo, someone like that, a blocking specialist uh, like an Eric Tomlinson, but actually good at blocking to just to bring that in, I think would help a lot. Hopefully Wesco develops into that, but to add uh, just a veteran to at least compete with him would go a long way. Yeah. As far as some other things they need to look at, I think you're looking at probably three receivers. Um, I, I, I do believe that Quincy Nuno will play next year and, and he can be a very solid number four guy. He can play some H back. He can do some stuff outside or inside. He's a very interesting piece, um, but I don't think you can count on him as an outside starter or whatnot, despite that contract. So I think you have three receivers, probably two in, um, in the draft and one in free agency. Um, one of those can be Robbie Anderson. If you re-sign Robbie Anderson, then maybe you're set for free agents. And then you look at, you know, if Jerry Judy's there or CD Lamb is there and none of the offensive linemen are, I think you take one of them. Otherwise, I think you're adding two on, uh, you know, you know, one in round two and one in round four or something. It's a very deep receiver class. Um, so I look forward to the Jets adding a lot of weapons and just building around Sam Darnold, not only building that wall in front of him, but, but just giving him some more tools on the outside. You know, some other free agent receivers that they could consider, you know, I think Amari Cooper is a bit of a pipe dream. Um, if he's available and he's interested in coming into New York and the price is right, obviously I would do that in a heartbeat, but I don't think that'll happen, so I wouldn't bank on it. Brashad Perryman was a guy who, if he if he escapes the open market, was very impressive with Tampa Bay this year as their third option outside of uh, Goblin and Evans. He really impressed um, so, you know, he could be a good plan B to Robbie. Uh, 
And a guy like Emmanuel Sanders, who was a bit on the older side. He wouldn't be my favorite addition, but he's had a good year this year. He's experienced under Gase. So they could look at some of those guys. But right now, it does seem like, you know, resetting Robbie and then drafting two guys, particularly, you know, a guy who's uh, a big bodied receiver who can and win some jump balls or whatever. And then maybe a guy who's more of the after the catch route runner type of guy um, and, and whatnot. Uh, on the defensive side of the ball, it's, it's, or I guess actually one more piece. I think you need to add one speed running back, whether uh, probably in the draft, probably in the later rounds of the draft to pair with Le'Veon Bell, just get a guy who can, it's probably more towards Adam Gase's system of just hitting the hole, but it's just a nice one to, um, you know, change up pace with Le'Veon Bell. I think, I think that could be good for Le'Veon just to be able to, to keep fresh throughout the season. You saw it more when they were subbing in Bilal Powell and whatnot, but I think a young speed running back, uh, could be good. As far as the defense, a lot less. I think you're looking at, you bring in another corner. And then I think you're having, you know, bless Austin, Arthur Millette, and maybe a rookie or something uh, battling it out. And I, but I think you have to bring in one free agent corner. Uh, and then I think you want to bring in a pass rush. And there's, there's a lot of good pass rushers who are, you know, slated to hit free agency. Um, we'll see if the Jets want to splurge on it. But I think you're looking at trying to make this defense a monster because at the very least, you know that they have a lot of potential. They have a great coach. They were, you know, number seven overall. So look, if you're healthy now with Williamson and, and Mosley, um, Barring that they don't trade Avery, whatever, you know, whatnot. And you could add a top tier pass rusher, you know, Quinn and Williams taking the next step and, a, you know, a corner to solidify that secondary. You're looking at a unit that could be the best defense in the league. And that's not a joke. I mean, the Jets, if they invest some, I mean, look, obviously a lot of the off, the uh, offseason resources need to be invested into the offense. But if you can turn around and, and, and just add, you know, one more piece or another piece on that defensive side of the ball, build it into a monster, the Jets are going to win a lot of games. And as we've seen in the playoffs, you know, being able to run the football, but stopping the run is a very big thing. And the Jets, if they can, they've proven they can do that uh, without Williamson, without Mosley. Now they're getting it. If you could stop the pass with an elite pass rush, you can get after quarterbacks, shorten the throws, and maybe add another corner. Um, you, you look out. So, I mean, Michael, on the defensive side of the football, I mean, as far as needs, do you agree that it's pretty much just corner and pass rusher? But they're, you know, significantly behind offensive line and weapons for Sam. Yeah, I agree. On the defensive side, obviously, you're set at safety. Defensive line, you're set there. Nothing to worry about. But on the edge, and at least one outside corner would go a long way. If they could get even one stud at either of those two positions, that would really raise the ceiling of this defense. And as you mentioned, they were uh, they were solid, a really good defense this season. They're 10th in DVOA with everything they've had to deal with. You have C.J. Mosley and Avery Williamson coming And a back. terrible offense. <laughs> yeah, and a terrible offense that gave them really bad field position throughout the season. They dealt with everything you could have thrown at them. They were still really good. So as with, as long as Greg Williams is there, he's shown that he knows how to get the most out of this group. So if you could add that top end talent at outside corner at edge, give him some more versatility to work with, get, get him some guys who could just win on their own because this group for the most part, they were dominant in run defense, but in the passing game, Greg Williams had to account for so much across this entire unit. So to get some uh, a guy who could win off the edge, uh, Terrell Basham led them in pressures with 39. I believe he was uh, somewhere in the 60s uh, in the league, 60. I think he was 60th in the league in pressure. So to have not even one of the top 60 pass rushers in the league and still be top 10, uh, one of the top 10 defenses in the league, goes to show how high their ceiling is if they can fix that. So outside corner and edge are really important. And offensively, uh, Bring back Robbie Anderson, but don't ignore outside receiver as a need. They they could still go so much higher if they add another good player out there. An offensive line, 
every single position is a need, but uh, for me, center is so huge. I think they've ignored that uh, too much the past few seasons. Jonathan Harrison isn't uh, as washed up as Ryan Khalil. He's not as bad a snapper as Spencer Long, but I still think he is a very, very bottom tier starter in the run game and in pass protection. I think he hurt them a lot this season, so I think they have to take that position seriously, in particularly uh, in particular at center. But all five positions, wherever you can get offensive line talent, you got to go and get it. High in the draft, in free agency, it needs to be a priority. Agreed. And then lastly, as far as a brief offseason checklist, I think you look at trading options. Uh, not only guys to bring in to help you know supplement the offensive line and receivers, maybe a corner outside. We've already covered that. But in-house, potentially guys you could trade away. Avery Williamson, um, you know, I would probably hang on to him, but if you get an offer for a fourth-round pick or something, a third-round pick, I'm probably shipping Avery off and just using that draft pick somewhere else because you're so comfortable with the depth. But, yeah, I, I do think there is there is a gap between Avery and Neville Hewitt, uh, you know, mainly in pass coverage. Um, and then maybe a guy like Henry Anderson, who also I'm comfortable keeping on this team as a rotational defensive line piece. But again, if you could get, you know, a fifth or a six or something, maybe I'm trading away Henry Anderson in that contract. Um, overall, I think that there are five, you know, objectives for the Jets um, in this season. Um, you know, I mean, there's probably more, but the one that, that I, the ones that I'm thinking of right now is, um, Firstly, as far as Le'Veon Bell's go, you got to fix him in this offense. Adam Gates has to figure out what to do with Le'Veon Bell, how to how to use him more effectively, how to get the most out of an all-pro running back. Because you wouldn't be able to tell from watching the Jets, but there was a time where Le'Veon Bell was arguably, maybe not even arguably, the best playmaker in the National Football League. So to, to know that you have a young quarterback that you're trying to build a wall around and give weapons— if, if you can just build that offensive lineup and build, you know, receivers, or whatever, if you can just get Le'Veon going, you have one of the best running backs right next to Sam Darnold in that backfield. So I think that's pr- one of the top priorities for Adam Gase is, is to to fix Le'Veon Bell in his offense, figure out what he's doing wrong this past year. You know, you can't just pin it all on the offensive line. You have to be more creative than that. Obviously, that'll help. But Adam Gase really has to figure out how do I get Le'Veon, ball, Le'Veon Bell the ball uh, and, and really make it clear that he is arguably your best player on this team, even though it didn't show last year. Um, you know, secondly, for, for, for Gase, I think it's, uh, you know, just – uh, his offense for Sam Darnold. And Michael and I were talking about this, but you know, the na- we're recording this on Tuesday. I don't know necessarily when it'll drop, but it'll drop sometime this week. You know, I was watching Joe Brady as the offensive coordinator for for LSU during the national championship last night. And he ran this um, he ran uh, this fake QB draw with Joe Burrow, where you know he's out of the shock or whatever. He takes it. He looks like he's going to run it right up the middle, and then he just stopped, planted his foot, and then just kind of floated it. Uh, for for a big gain or whatever, I was like, that is so up Sam Darnold's alley. That is such a Sam Darnold play right there because he's because he's thick, trunky, and coastal, as Colin Coward says. But you know, it's a third and three or whatever. If you put him out of the shotgun and you fake like he's coming in, those linebackers are gonna come come down, and then he can just toss it right over the top to Chris Herndon or Ryan Griffin or whatever. You know, get Sam Darnold out of the pocket, move him around more. He's not Peyton Manning. He's not a pocket passer. But you look at the success that Deshaun Watson or Patrick Mahomes or Russell Wilson have, you know, throwing from untraditional pockets or whatever. He just really has to build his offense around Sam Darnold and for Le'Veon Bell. You know, for Joe Douglas, it's building a wall around Sam Darnold and giving him uh, weapons, building that that foundation where Sam doesn't have to have, you know, happy feet in the pocket and giving him weapons who can get open, you know, in under five seconds. Um, I think the other you know, two more objectives would be to build that de- as we we're talking about build that defense into an absolute monster. Know that okay, yes, you have a, a very 
yes, you have a huge weakness on the offensive side of the football, in the offensive line and the weapons, whatever, but you also have a pretty good strength in the defensive side of the football and supplement that. Really make sure, okay, if we're a great defensive team, then let's lead with that. Let's make sure we're the best defensive team in the league and we can win these games in November and December. We can make a playoff run with a top defense and trust that Sam will keep you know, keep improving with this team and can, you know, get that offense going as well. But I would not completely ignore the defense. I think a corner and a pass rusher could go a long way this year. Obviously, that's behind building that wall and getting Samson weapons. And then lastly, this is the number one thing we're going to find out this year. You know, obviously, we're, we're looking to see big steps from Sam and Quinnen and can they fix Levy and whatever. But is Adam Gase the guy? Because Joe Douglas cannot be tied at the hip to Adam Gase. This is it for Adam. If, if Adam does not come through in 2020, if he's, you know, same old, same old excuses, getting blown out, not making the playoffs, Sam only making marginal improvements, just bone scratching decisions, losses to winless teams, breakdown. I mean, regardless, locker room trouble, whatever, communication issues. 2020 is the year that we'll find out if Adam Gase is going to be the guy. But Joe Douglas cannot just tie himself at the hip. Michael, anything else to add to any of this? I mean, you summed it up pretty perfectly. I mean, Adam Gase is huge. This is uh, should be his make uh, make or break year. We don't know uh, with this team how long they want to stick with him, but it should uh, it, be. His it will make be or with break Woody year. with Woody coming back. I, I would have to imagine that. Yeah, that for sure. And and you got to evaluate him on the offense. That's a big thing because the Jets went seven and nine this year, but. That was pretty much all in the defense. If the Jets this year were as good defensively as their talent on that side said they should be, if they were the 25th best defense or somewhere in that range, they probably would have won three or four games this year. The defense was the reason for their success this season. So uh, you got to keep your eye on that offense and Sam Darnold uh, in regards to Adam Gase, because that's what he was brought here to do. He was not brought here to lead a culture or to lead both sides of the ball. He was brought here for Darnold in that offense. So you got to evaluate that. In terms of him, but for me in the offseason, the offensive line is so huge. I'm so I'm a huge believer in how bad this unit was this season in both sides. I think they destroyed Le'Veon Bell's chances for success. I think uh, pass protection, they're really bad. And it goes as simple as they gave Sam Darnold took the highest uh, was pressured on the highest percentage of dropbacks among any starting quarterback in the league. Le'Veon Bell, among any qualified running back, averaged the fewest yards before contact per attempt. So I think that's the simplest way to describe it. They were very detrimental uh, in 2019. I think improving that is uh, extremely crucial. And we're seeing here in the playoffs uh, how these offensive lines are so important, how a good offensive line is so important with Tennessee, what that group is doing. All five guys in that front have been so good leading Henry, uh, Derrick Henry to this run. Green Bay has an excellent offensive line. San Francisco was a run first team that set up Jimmy Garoppolo really well. Kansas City does so many creative things to give Patrick Mahomes windows to throw out uh, clean pockets to throw from windows to throw through their offensive line is excellent. So for the Jets, for Sam Darnold, it's extremely important. His the, every quarterback is better with, you know, when they're pressured less, they have clean pockets to throw from every quarterback is better. But for Sam Darnold, the differences between his under pressure numbers versus clean pocket numbers his production in games where he took a lot of pressure versus games where he's kept clean is much more stark than most other quarterbacks. When he's kept clean, he's been very, very good. And when he's, you know, had games where he's dealt with a lot of pressure, he's been pretty bad. The drop off for him uh, pressured versus not pressured has been bigger than most. So offensive line is so huge for me, but uh, you really summed it up so well. This is a defense that has, a lot of potential supplement that offensively. We know where the weaknesses are. Develop Sam Darnold, build that offensive line, and get some improvement from Adam Gase. See him uh, fix up some of the things that have led to him struggling so much in his four years as a head coach. 
All right, I think we've covered it all for the 2019 season. We may, we we tried to make up for uh, a few of the lost episodes, just kind of catch everybody up. Um, our next episode, our next few episodes will be just focusing on Sam Darnold and Sam Darnold only. We'll be going over his first four games, so that'll be our next episode. Will be Buffalo, Dallas. Uh, New England and Jacksonville. Then we'll have the, the next four, then the next five and, and consecutive episodes or whatever. But we're really excited about this, doing more focused topics, really just diving into the analytics and the nitty gritty of each um, topic. Um, you can follow us at CYJ pod on Twitter. I run that. You can follow Michael at Michael underscore Nania on Twitter. Uh, you can follow me at Ben W. Blessington on Twitter. Um, but the best place to go is at CYJ pod or you can find us on turn of the jets, uh, com. You can also find us, uh, now officially with the big heads media network. Um, you can also just find us anywhere. You listen to podcasts, just search up cool, your jets, uh, iTunes, Spotify, um, wherever we are there. Um, just really excited to be doing this again. Um, getting consistent episodes out there. Um, and you know, while the jets have certainly plenty of question marks, I'm excited for this off season. It's a very interesting one particularly with a new general manager to see how he differs from Mike McCagnan. Uh, and regardless of Adam Gase, uh, this team has a lot of talent and a lot of potential moving forward. Even if he isn't the guy, he still has a chance to prove he is. Um, but I'm really excited to see the, the growth of this team over the next few months. Um, and we'll be right here um, and all off season and hopefully into the season uh, a little bit more than, than this past one. Uh, that'll do it for us. I'm Ben Blessington with Michael Nania. And we'll be back next episode with an inside look at Sam Darnold's 2019 season.